You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And finally, spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. She Said, which came out in 2022. It was directed by Maria Schrader. It stars Zoe Kazan, Carrie Mulligan, Patricia Clarkson, Andre Brower, Jennifer Ely, Samantha Morton, Angela Yeo, and Zach Grenier. The genre would be journalistic docudrama slash thriller. Hi, my name is Jody Cantor. I'm an investigative reporter for the New York Times. I don't want to be quoted. Period. Understood. In your previous stories. How did you persuade women to tell you what had happened to them? A case I made was, I can't change what happened to you in the past. But together we may be able to help protect other people. The truth. You have to imagine that every call you make is being recorded and you're being followed. Can you imagine how many Harveys there are out there? You want to get me killed. Do you wish you hadn't signed up for this story? Do you? No. The only way these women are going to go on the record is if they all jump together. I was silenced. I want my voice back. She Said is an extremely entertaining and thoughtful journalistic docudrama following in the grand tradition of movies like Spotlight, All the President's Men, and The Insider. I mean, I can recognize strong, confident filmmaking when I see it, and German director Maria Schrader delivers that in spades with what apparently is her English-language debut, all the more impressive. Her film is very much walking the same kind of narrative tightrope that Zero Dark Thirty walked 10 years ago, or actually even All the President's Men back in 76. Both of those films dealt with the same question that this film deals with. How do you portray such a current story which is still unfolding real-time right now? You know, you're right. I agree with everything you just said. What I meant was, a man in your position, how do you evaluate the risk of potentially letting Bin Laden slip through your fingers? This is a film basically chronicling incidents which helped kickstart the Me Too movement barely five years ago. And we're still dealing with the aftermath. Well, the short answer to that question is... Not easily, as we witness from the travails of the two main protagonists of this story, reporters Jody Cantor, played by Zoe Kazan, and Megan Tuohy, played by Carrie Mulligan. What is it exactly that we're looking at here? We're looking at extreme sexual harassment in the workplace. These young women walked into what they all had reason to believe were business meetings with a producer, an employer. They were hopeful. They were expecting a serious conversation about their work or a possible project. Instead, they say he met them with threats and sexual demands. They claim assault and rape. If that can happen to Hollywood actresses, who else is it happening to? Speaking truth to power can feel quite thankless, and the parallels to all the president's men are certainly there. Watching two intrepid reporters clawing their way through a tough story amidst the vastness of a busy newsroom. But the fact that the vast, vast majority of the work that we see this pair of reporters doing to crack this story, it's off hours, via smartphone, often at inopportune times and or places, that all serves as a stark reminder of where modern journalism has gone post-internet. One of the most well-explored themes of Rebecca Lankovich's screenplay is how in this newspaper world, it's no longer about scrambling to make deadlines, to make it in time for the latest printing of the latest edition. 
Now it's posting and updating stories online real-time continuously. The work never really stops. And about those reporters, though we only occasionally get a view into their personal lives, Mulligan and Kazan both do a very effective job of portraying the tirelessness and drain of performing their jobs, as they are both mothers to young children as well. Even though they are chasing down many prominent figures from the so-called glamorous world of Hollywood, none of this ever feels glamorized, or even just like dropping names just to get your attention. The story takes into account their exhaustive efforts to find sources who are willing to at least talk, and possibly, maybe, eventually even go on the record. In fact, finding folks who are willing to go on the record about their mistreatment at the hands of Harvey Weinstein ends up not only being the greatest source of tension for the story, but also rings the most emotion from this narrative. The fear that those people have in giving their stories. Beyond that, you have strong supporting work throughout the cast, including top-flight character actor Zach Grenier in an unusually sympathetic role for him. If you might remember him, he played the boss in Fight Club. He's playing a former Miramax exec, kind of serving as this movie's answer to Deep Throat, plus two elite actors who I can just watch in anything. Patricia Clarkson and Andre Brower portraying real-life Times editors Rebecca Corbett and Dean Piquet. Are we talking solely corporate misuse of power? No, we're talking all workplaces where sexual harassment might happen. Also, let's look for the enablers. Fox kept O'Reilly on for quite some time after our story broke. And for decades before that. The network only ousted him when the advertisers jumped ship. Let's interrogate the whole system. Why is sexual harassment so pervasive and so hard to address? Brower's bouquet kind of serves as this movie's answer to Jason Robards slash Ben Bradley dishing out some of the more entertainingly testy exchanges with various folks from the Weinstein slash Miramax side of things. And of course, much of the more uncomfortable subject matter relating to assault and or harassment is handled with a generous amount of delicacy, but it's never minimized. Overall, this film just walks an extremely tricky tightrope in much the same manner that Spotlight did several years ago with regards to that film's abuse content. Well, let me tell you. When you're a poor kid from a poor family, religion counts for a lot. And when a priest pays attention to you, it's a big deal. Sorry, but it's just hard not to compare this to other films of note, because this film just packs such a punch, as those comparisons are quite favorable. And this brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. What we have here is yet another banger score from up-and-comer Nicholas Bratel, who has just been killing it recently with stuff like Don't Look Up, If Beale Street Could Talk, and especially loads of stirring, memorable music that he's been composing for the Star Wars series Andor. Check out that music, it's really good. His music for this docudrama is sufficiently tense and emotional in all the right spots, including some lovely contributions in certain scenes from cellist Caitlin Sullivan. For me, the highlight of this score was for a scene relatively late in the movie with the aforementioned Zach Grenier, playing Miramax slash Weinstein executive Erwin Reitner, who is meeting at a restaurant with Jody, and this is a very tense scene, as he clearly wants to tell her something, but has been very cagey. Finally, he breaks down, puts his smartphone on the table, which has a company memo on display, and then he just walks away to the bathroom for a few minutes. What he's giving her is critical to their investigation, and as Jody looks at it, taking pictures, the cello in the score really builds up to an intense crescendo. 
The track is called Do What You Want With These. It's very effective music for a very effective scene. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. As of the recording of this episode, unfortunately, She Said has been in wide release for roughly one week. And to say that it's not attracting a sizable audience is an understatement. This film cost about $30 million to produce, and it will be lucky to reach even half of that number in worldwide box office. Now, this certainly would not be the first journalistic docudrama to underperform commercially. In fact, going back decades, you could list several films along these lines, which I personally love, but not enough folks saw them in theaters. Quiz Show, Shattered Glass, Frost Nixon, Zodiac, and the previously mentioned The Insider, from one of my favorite directors, Michael Mann. I mean, that is one impressive list. So she said is at least in good company. But that said, come on, American audiences. Tens of millions of them are out there just flocking to true crime content such as that Dahmer series on Netflix. How about checking out something in that vein which is much more thoughtful and not nearly as exploitive of its subject matter for a change? I have said it before and I will say it again. If we want better movies for adults, then we have to show up for them. Bottom line. This brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Now, this would actually be a tie. The emotional high points of this movie include two standout sequences, which both relate to the interviews of former assistants of Harvey Weinstein. Both of these women are portrayed in raw, effective fashion by Samantha Morton and Jennifer Ely. Jennifer Ely plays Laura Madden and pretty much steals the movie with her scenes. It honestly feels like she actually does this every time I see this actress on screen as she has pulled off comparatively gripping moments with very different characters, but in comparatively sobering dramas, Zero Dark Thirty and Contagion. I don't know, but it just seems that if you're casting a prominent role in a film with very weighty subject matter, like this one, Ely has just become one of those go-to actresses. Her character also delivers what is likely the most impactful line of dialogue from this movie, or any recent movie for that matter. It was like he took my voice that day, just when I was about to start finding it. And now the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. There are just so many savvy choices made throughout this film to both ensure that the audience is able to keep up with the breadth of the story and to ensure that what we're watching is cinematic. I mean, this was an investigation with no shortage of moving parts. They were going through about 20 plus years of potential incidents with a private company which had offices all over the world. The center of this investigation was one of the most media savvy corporate leaders of the modern age. All around, this was an uphill battle to climb. Of course, what truly kicked this off was the Pulitzer Prize winning investigation from Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey, who adeptly summarized all of their efforts in the novel, also called She Said, which this screenplay was based upon. And from what I understand, both reporters were very involved as consultants in the production of this movie as well. Every aspect. Beyond that, I would not envy anyone taking on the task of translating this story to the big screen. And that task largely fell upon British writer Rebecca Lenkovich. Her screenplay respects both the denseness of the story and the emotions involved. In subtle ways, she keeps reminding us throughout the story 
that both the reporters and every witness and source have their own lives going on. For example, we learn early on that Megan just had a baby and is in fact experiencing postpartum depression. Now, a lesser screenwriter would exploit this as a subplot to garner sympathy for the protagonist or even use her postpartum experience in a clunky manner to demonstrate a metaphor for the whole Weinstein investigation. Gratefully, neither of those routes are taken, and this is never developed into a subplot which potentially overtakes the narrative. It's just effectively portrayed as just a harsh reality for Megan in her efforts to return to work for the Times. And we also see how it becomes an opportunity to get back into the swing of things and listening in this cause and even distracting from her emotional state at the time. And all of this is presented pretty subtly with direct dialogue with, of course, strong performances to back it up. For their collaboration in both bringing this story to light and to the big screen, Jody Cantor, Megan Tui, and screenwriter Rebecca Lankovich are your MVPs. The outcome changed the lives of women everywhere. And while we know we still have a long way to go, there's no turning back now. In terms of this story, things have only just begun. Only when this information is public and people can react to it, they can be in dialogue with it, our ending is everybody else's beginning. My rating for She Said is five stars out of five. If you're a sucker for good investigative journalism drama, then this is a high recommend. It is also definitely one of the best films of the year. And if you're looking to watch She Said, it's currently now playing in theaters. And that ends another inquiring review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.